Two Kids and a Career is a production of Jill Divine Media. I just want people to to see the good in everything. I know that's very hard to say, but there's just, there's not a right way. There's not a wrong way in some of these situations. And um, I think it's a great goal. I think if we, you know, we were more optimistic as a people group, we'd, we'd get a lot more done and have more satisfying lives. I think it's a great goal. Evoke Creative is a proud sponsor of Two Kids and a Career. They help small business owners like me brand with purpose and market with intent. The ladies at Evoke Creative will help make your digital presence known. Learn more at evokecco.com. That's evokecco.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. All right, we are back with Marcy Bursack. This is part two of our conversation. I needed to have someone on to talk about adoption. I haven't had anyone with a lot of experience or knew the ins and the outs. I've had people come on that have talked about adoption. They know a friend of a friend of a friend. So Marcy has been so great to share what she has learned. And the pandemic has taught us all a lot. We've all been able to learn something, whether it was we can't move and we're paralyzed to we have to do something and adapt. And Marcy did something and adapted. She ended up writing a book called The Forgotten Adoption Option. She is a podcast host and an adoptive mom I got to learn a little bit about your children in part one. I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit more about them now. So how long ago did you adopt them? Okay. So this question's always a funny one because like, <laughs> depends on what term you want to use, right? Like we met when my daughter was a week from being three and she's currently nine, but almost 10. So that's like seven years ago. However, okay. we didn't legally share a last name until 18 months later. So I don't know where the measures, it's always like the people that like date for so long, like you kind of forget how this all works. So yeah. I consider like my, my children and I, we, we outwardly say, we say we've known each other for seven years. Um, and so it doesn't really matter like when do we become a family and when do we not? And what does that all mean? And when did they know? Um, but in terms of about them, it's, it's fun, Jill, to share with you some of the things that I think have been so fun with my children in terms of like first. So my daughter is a child with a lot of energy in the sense of she's such a playster and loves to be silly, but she also loves to take her brother's things and play with them to the point that she takes them apart. Cause she's like really curious, but then she returns them in like broken pieces. So <laughs> we love that inquisitive nature that she has. And we love helping her understand that like you enjoy the why and you might be an engineer one day. I don't know, but you have a lot of like great questions in your life, but maybe just use your toys. Like do that to your toys instead of your brothers, <laughs> which is so fun. And she and my son and my husband are all in martial arts together. So that's the thing as a family we do. We also play board games and my son 
is very similar to my husband. He's a very compassionate man. He skateboards. He loves animals. Both of my children, my husband's an elementary art teacher. So as a result, at their own choice, both children are very artistic. So um, my son enjoys more of the drawing and making with clay. He just recently declared, he's like, I think I want to be a potter. Like I love clay. And then my daughter really enjoys painting. She's amazing at watercolor from a very young age. She's kind of gravitated. I don't know what they're going to do long-term. We don't really care. Just the other day was kind of on my soapbox at breakfast. We were talking about our morning devotions. And I was like, you know, what really drives me nuts. And I was like, cause I kept hearing my kids come home say this from school. And I was like, it drives me nuts when adults ask children, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I was like, here's the deal. Your growing up age means somewhere after age 18, because you're not going to go get that job that you think it is when you're like 17. And that's like 10 years from now. And I was like, why do adults ask kids, what do you think you're going to be doing 10 plus years from now? And I was like, nobody asks an adult that. And then like the kid doesn't know what to say. And so there's a little soapbox. I just feel like I love that. Blessed. Do you hear that? Because I'm like, stop asking children what they're going to be when they grow up. Instead, say, what gifts do you think God has given you right now that you can use? And one of those things that my children... To me, it is it has been resounding again and again of their gift in this area, Jill, is I a few years ago I, I would run on a regular basis as my as my fitness and I got in a car accident and had like a temporary vertigo, like an indefinitely temporary vertigo, and I couldn't run. And one of the things my kids came over, mom's in tears, and they're like, Mom, you've always taught us to think of what can you do. So let's brainstorm some things you can do right now. And so we talked about like, I can walk and like these things came to life. And then fast forward, I had COVID last year and I was separated and we came up with, I can watch a video with you from my screen in the bedroom while you're on a TV in a different room. So like we found these, I can moments and to, to talk specifically about foster care adoption, when I was putting the, the text and the photos and our stories together and my children, I'm deliberately not using their first names in case anyone's like, she never said who they were. I, I don't tell. Sorry, not sorry. Right. But in the book, they I, they get the words big brother and little sister, because that's who they are. I, I blogged our journey and always kind of gave them a, a name that way. And when we the book kind of came out to the world, we talked and I said, listen, I'm being asked by a few places, can they use our faces? And the, you know, and on the back cover, can I use a family photo? Is that okay with you? And it just depicts my children's heart. And I, and I love this, Jill. My son said, mom, is this going to help another kid get adopted? And I said, yeah, buddy, that's the hope. I was like, mom and mom and dad really feel like this book was supposed to be written so that one kid, just a grandpa Sam could be adopted. And he said, you should share my photo. And I just, I love the heart in that of like, if I'm going to help someone by sharing my story, then please, please do. You have some cool kiddos. Fully agreed. So Marcy, how do things happen with your family? Obviously they know that they are adopted. Is it something that you just talk about? Is it when it gets brought up? What are their dynamics like? So dynamics are, I think, an area where personally I have grown over time because I did not grow up knowing some of this language. I have learned a lot of it from other families that have mentored us that have gone through the foster care adoption process through our play therapist. So if you if I thought about it early in, and I think this is an important thing for listeners to understand, is that when our children were in foster care and we knew what the long-term plan was, our kids didn't know, and so we couldn't talk about it. And it wasn't us lying. It just wasn't appropriate for us to tell them anything. And we would never say like, oh, you are you 
are not going back where you are. Like we would never say that out loud. We would just ask questions of like, oh, tell me about your feelings. And so in terms of the dynamics of that, earlier in there, there were points where our children had moved in with us and they brought photos of biological family members. And we thought this is, this is good. Like we're, we're going to try to be as supportive as we, as we can, because we want to, we want to help their kids be healthy in this way. We don't want to hide it. Cause like they still have biological visits. It's not like this is pretend. And we actually had photos of biological family members in each of our kiddos bedrooms. But, and we thought that was a great idea until it became a point of pain, if you will, for my daughter, she mm-hmm. would go to bed at bedtime during bedtime routine, it would, it would become this elongated cry of I miss them and, and these things and we couldn't do anything about it. And, and talking to the play therapist were like, we have to take the photos away. And it's not that she can't see them. It's just that they don't belong in her room anymore. They don't belong by her bed. And in the same vein, Jill, our children, um, we, we had a really interesting timing in their lives because my children were in preschool when all of the foster care limbo was happening. And then they, we got to go to court and they were adopted right as my son was starting kindergarten. And as a result, we were able to work. And it was, this was such a great thing in our lives. The, the staff at the preschool and then the staff at the elementary school, we were able to work with them to say like, hey, don't teach our children how to write their last name. And so like they didn't. So other kids got first and last name pencil training and our kids got first name because we thought we don't necessarily want to help them remember that right now. And at the same time, we don't know. And so for it to be less confusing, we just kind of remove that part of the curriculum. And then on the roster, my son wasn't formally adopted yet, but we were able to like have the teacher know what his first and last name was going to be. So at school, he didn't have to like, we just didn't want any spotlight on like, what, why is your name changing and what's going on? And so it's an interesting hybrid in our lives because putting the book out in public eye was like, oh, by the way, children, all of your peers are going to know you're adopted now. Like, and, and it has come up for them. Like it has come up at school where depending upon the comfort level of each of my kids, they have shared that with certain friends or their class. It just depends on their personality. But I will tell you that in terms of like, if you came over or a fly on the wall, because you probably wouldn't talk about all this in front of you of like my kids saying, I have questions about this and that. But if you were a fly on the wall in my house or a dog, because I have two dogs, she could be one of my dogs. We have very candid conversations. I'm a very big fan of you can ask anything and it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to not know the words and it's okay to be really curious. And so we've had conversations about their past and about what had happened. Um, A few months ago, it kind of came to a time where there were questions about like physical appearance of people. And so I talked to my kids with my husband and my husband, I privately had like talked ahead of time because we've, we've been under the coaching of a play therapist, which has been amazing and helpful of do things that are, are age appropriate. So like, it's not actually age appropriate to tell all of the details that may not be appropriate for a young child to hear, but it is age appropriate for them to be aware and to use language that helps them understand their story. And that's such an important part. We, we knew around like fourth to sixth grade kids go through this identity time where they wonder like, who am I? And as a result, behaviors can change and they can lash out just because they're dealing like we all dealt with this. But as, as an adopted child, like there's this extra layer of confusion because you're like, I was born in this family, but now I'm with this family. And like, did that one love me? Like there's all these questions in your mind. And so a few months ago, 
is my kids were asking questions about who do I look like? Because we don't, I mean, we, we are all Caucasian. My children are actually Hispanic, but we all look very white during the winter months and they go very brown and beautiful in the summer. I don't. And Same. they wanted to know, right? I know. I'm like, I turn red. I don't turn brown. Right. <laughs> and so they, they had questions and I was like, you know what? I think it's time. And so we actually had been given a book by each biological parent when they had said goodbye to our children, that was like a photo book of the life our children had since birth until us. And I've actually gone into the book over different class projects because maybe a kid needed like, I need a baby photo. And I'm like, I don't got one of those, but I know where to find one. So I'll magically come up with one. And we just didn't feel like it was going to be healthy for our kids to go through everything that had been given under our care at that time. But as they've gotten older, we're like, this seems like an appropriate time. So we talked to them about it. We set the stage of like, we've had this book. It wasn't a secret. We didn't feel like it was the right time. We're really careful in our family that secrets and surprises are very different things. Like we're not hiding something. We're trying to be intentional about the timing of it. And so we we talked about, we have these things, we've had them. We'd love to let you look at them. You can ask them anytime you want. We can, there's even a letter in them. Like, and so we actually sat down as a family and went through both of the books and all the things that were written. And it was a very powerful time of tears and laughter and ahas of just like, oh, that is who I look like. And that's probably where I get this from. And who's this person? And and so there, there's dynamics still that I feel like as an, an adoptive parent, because I think in my heart, because I approached adoption as plan A, and I know this is different for friends that have shared with me that maybe came from a position of infertility, I've been trying to help view my children as their coach and their mentor and their parent, but like really trying to help guide them through life. And I know sometimes it can be really hard depending upon what the the story and situation was that maybe you want to hide the past or you don't want to talk about it, or it can feel like you did something wrong or you're inadequate when really it can be really, really healthy for everyone to just be able to talk about it. In the conversation that we have had, do the kids still have communication with the biological family or is that not happening? Great question, because I didn't touch on that. So Missouri is a closed adoption state. And what that means is if you adopt in the state of Missouri, you get to pick if you want to maintain contact. And this was a very hard decision for my husband and I to make. I, again, had spent time in social service. Like I, It was really hard for me through all of this because I was like, I want to see them come back and be stable. And and I and I wanted so much for their success. And I had a mentor in my life that was like, Marcy, that's so beautiful. And that's fair. But you have to realize that people have to move on at some point. Like there's only so much time to, to, to figure that out. Like it's okay if they were given enough time and then things change. Like that was a really hard thing for me to swallow. But through that process, because again, we were with our kids for 18 months and then biological dad terminated his rights. He elected to terminate his rights and then biological mom did. And so it was a really, to me, beautiful gift to our children to know that they were chosen to be with us, to grow up with us. And it wasn't like a punishment for them or anything anyone did wrong. It was just an, an, an admirable choice that their biological families gave them. And it was hard, Jill, because I, I, I know both of these adults in their lives. Like I got to meet them multiple times. But because of what we were seeing and because of my background in social service, there wasn't a lot of stability on both sides of the equation. And it was so hard. It was it was the visit where the biological parents said goodbye to our children. And the biological dad had asked me, I really hope that you'll send me a letter once a year. 
And Jill, I knew because my husband and I had already talked about like, I knew we weren't going to do that. I knew it because we we didn't want to give way to drama coming back in our kids' lives. And at the same yeah. time, like we, we, we felt in our hearts that letting people move on separately was the best thing at that time. Like my kids know when they get older one day, we're going to go try to like, if they want to, you know, track people down and meet up with them. So it's not a secret. It's just, we feel like that's appropriate for later. And what was hard in that moment, Jill, just to, in that story, he asked if we would send them a picture once a year. And I remember in my heart feeling so bad because I was like, I want you so bad to like get on a better road and, and this, this and that. And I remember saying to him, we'll consider it. And we did consider it. Like I was truthful to what I said, but it was like one of the hardest things to know that like we're choosing to protect our children so that their updates and their profiles and whatever that means to us, like is within circles that make sense because we, we just, I don't know, we, we wanted to help the stability be in the stability zone. And as I mean, I, I've, you can, people can go do this. And I think this is an important piece for listeners to know. There's a website called CaseNet where you can look up criminal history and like um, moving violations and things on anyone in any state. And, and I do that on a regular basis. I look up the biological family and unfortunately they're not, stable still seven years later. And so in some ways I feel like, okay, we made the right choice and now I know this and that, but it's, it's also equally hard to digest some of that. I I am a little teary eyed thinking about it as a parent and maybe, I don't know. I, I feel like saying that maybe it's different that I'm really upset because I can't imagine, but their biological parents just there's there's a difference there's there's just a stability difference like you said um not that it wasn't hard for them because i'm sure it was i'm just in a different place in my life than they are and i don't know um it's complicated. I mean, I, I could gel bring into our airwaves, you know, other friends that have also adopted through foster care that have a very different angle than I do, that they do have a very healthy and consistent relationship as well. So I, I don't think that there's like a one way slice on this at all. I think it's very case by case on what things look like. But I mean, to, to kind of shed a little light on our why our daughter had never had a birthday with both of her biological parents in her life. And so that that was quite a bit of our deciding factor that already kind of showed the the path of what things had been for the first several years. And so yeah. we, just wanted, we just realized we had a choice and we even tell our kids on a very regular basis, like we have made this choice and you are welcome as, as our children to give your opinions and to ask for other things. We might be doing it wrong and we're sorry if we are, but we're always open to dialoguing about it. And we've talked about it in, their, in the most recent conversations that they echo or mom, no, like we, we agree with you. Like it's, we trust your wisdom in this and we think it's fine. I think that the one thing that I have learned so far in talking to you is there, well, with lots of things, you have to have research done in different perspectives. We know adoption is complicated as it is, but you have to, like I did in part one, say that I kind of judged that one mom for wanting to get money to keep her kid. Then, you know, you providing a perspective to say, okay, think about this. 
or think about this because ultimately at the end of the day, when it comes to the children, your child, you want to do what's best for them. And that's what I always preach with our kids. I always tell my husband, I I say, I I just don't want to screw them up and I want them to succeed. Like if there's one thing that they're, I hope that they will never, ever question is how much I loved them and loved them. But like that, that is the one thing that I just feel like they will be able to take away. And that to me is super important. Like, yes, do I want to keep them in a bubble and protect them on certain things? Of course, I don't see how any parent wouldn't want to do that. But they're going to have to learn and they're going to have to learn hurt. They're going to have to learn joy. They're going to have to learn all of those things so that they can shape who they are as a person. So it's just eye-opening and enlightening to see someone like you take all of the things and put them into perspective when you're thinking about these very difficult decisions. And I, I think that a lot of people who are considering adoption they've got to go through that training. They've got to go through that Marcy training because you have a lot to consider. There is so much there. There's, there's, there's so much heart prep. There's so, and then there's even like these other layers that I'll just kind of put out there. Cause I know people have to go through this. There's the, can I get my other, my significant other on the same page? Cause there's what's called the reluctant spouse. And yeah. my husband will tell you, like he was on my podcast as my first guest. And he was like, that was me. Like I kind of held up the process. So there, there's like that, that camp. And then there's like, how do you tell your friends and family circle, your, your inner circle and your outer, like there's all these different opinions and things that come your way. And I've, I've had to learn through that, how to allow people to peek in, how to not know that they're peeking in, how to allow other perspectives with also realizing that what someone thinks or feels about me is maybe not who I am. And it's okay to live in that space. Like I remember when my husband and I went public with our family and said, this is what we're going to do. Like we've been waiting on purpose to have children later. Like we've been married five years and we want to have children that are not babies. And a family member said to me, well, I thought you guys were going to have babies first. And I was like, that's news to me. Like I, you know, but it's like in the moment, I'm like, I didn't know how to respond to some of this stuff. And, And one thing, Jill, just going back to part one, I didn't point this out. And it's a really key point because oftentimes people think I want to adopt. And you mentioned it in the introduction of, but it's expensive. And then like the whole idea dies, right? It's like, I want to help kids, but that's a ton of money. And so like, we never pursue it. What I didn't know and what I want to make sure every listener knows is that foster care adoption out of your pocket can cost anywhere between $0, that's a Z, Z-E-R-O, $0 to $2,500. And even if you end up spending the $2,500, my family spent less than that, you get tax credits per child you adopt. And so you don't actually end up paying anything. And so I just want to make sure people know that that huge opportunity is that the state and our government really wants these children, like the financial burden to be eliminated, even health insurance is eliminated, like all the cost of those things so that we can help children who often like the terms that are used or they're wounded or they come from hard places, like kids that have things to unpack in their life can be with families that can help them unpack those things, that can accept them through those things and help them grow into who they are. And that's that's such an opportunity I think all of us have. And I wish I could go adopt a third, a fourth, and a fifth child. And my husband is like, I said too. <laughs> I said too. And so to <laughs> us, 
like our, I, I self-published and we used our own savings and we spent the price of adopting a third child and publishing the book. And my husband said, I feel like this is our way to help more children. Like if, if you can write this down and help get the word out, then we can help people that were just like us that didn't know where to look. We didn't know what to ask. We had these really, what maybe are considered invasive questions. We didn't know who to ask them to. We, we felt kind of nervous and scared and afraid and all these things. And so this is really our gift to the, the country that we want to help these 120,000 children who just need a safe and loving home. I think that that's exactly right of your husband. Just, of course, yes, a third child would be joyous for you all, but I think you're going to be making a huge difference with this book. Uh, before we wrap up and make sure that I get all the information out there, it was interesting when you were talking about how that family member said, oh, I thought you were going to have babies. We are in that, and I don't even know what you call it, but in that whole shift, I believe, of what has been deemed as the right way to live to, hey, let's just live. So for example, with my husband and myself, we didn't get married until we were, I was 36, which, you know, what most people asked me when we were getting married, is this your second marriage? Oh, wow. And yeah. And so we didn't get married until then. And so I'm considered an older parent at the age of 43 with a two and a four year old. So that's uncommon, but it's changing. Like, I don't know if it will be with the generation of my girls or not. Maybe, maybe not. But it's okay to just live with someone. It's okay to be single. It's okay to adopt. It's okay to have biological kids. It's okay to have biological kids and adopt. All of it is okay. There's no rule book. And we have to stop thinking that way because it is just, it causes people damage. It does. Well, and it's hard when it's said out loud, right? And I know that just like you mentioned, like I'm guilty of this stuff too, where in my head I was like, I thought this or I thought that. But sometimes it's like, I'm learning that sometimes it's best if maybe we don't say anything until we're ready, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's because everybody has an opinion. <laughs> Just ah, it just is crazy. Um, I just want people to to see the good in everything. I know that's very hard to say, but there's just there's not a right way, there's not a wrong way in some of these situations. And um, I think yeah. it's a great goal. I think if we you know if we were more optimistic as a people group, we'd we get a lot more done and have more satisfying lives. I think it's a great goal. Yeah. That's just, it's just what I, yeah, I don't want, I don't ever want to instill in my girls like, Hey, you have to go to college and you have to meet your husband in college. And then you have to get that full-time job right out of college. And then you have to buy the house with the picket fence and then everything's nice and beautiful afterwards because that's not reality. Totally. Yeah. We've been helping our kids understand like, okay, after high school, you could maybe go to a trade school and we've yeah. already been like putting books and things or a college and it doesn't actually matter. Like both of those are great. Yes. Like do what you want to do. Do what fuels you and brings you passion. 
Um, I love this conversation. This is a conversation I have not had with anyone. So it's very eye-opening. I feel like there's a lot more that can be discussed, but uh, about your book. So if someone is interested, A, where can they find it? But tell me what they're going to get inside that book so that they know what they're purchasing. Great questions. I want to first just shed light on we, we talked about some things and I know there's a lot more. I am on different social platforms. I welcome private conversations. I have a number of families across the country that have just pinged me and we built a relationship and they can ask anything. So I just want to invite your listeners, like I'm here and you can message me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, LinkedIn, whatever it is. But I just want to let you know that like, I am happy to have those conversations with you privately because I know it's going to be hard to know where to go. In terms of where to find the forgotten adoption option and what's inside, what's inside is because people say, did you write your story down? I'm like, not exactly. Because like, I'm not trying to convince you to adopt my kids at all. They're mine. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But what I am trying to help you understand is that if you feel like you have a heart for adoption, I want to help you understand how the process for foster care adoption works. I want you to understand that it's affordable. So I walk you through fears And I walk you through fears, not just that you're experiencing or you might experience, whether it's you're too old or too young or you don't have the money for this or what have you. I also go into child fears so you can better have an understanding of what a child or children you might welcome into your family might be thinking and maybe don't have words for it yet. I also walk you through like one to probably 60, the steps. I mean, it sounds overwhelming, but and I will tell you, I've gotten some feedback in the book. It's it's a 90 minute audiobook read or listen, because we're listening to the audiobook. And I, I have had some friends that have adopted through foster care that said, Marcy, I kind of expected this would be a lot bigger of a book. And I, I welcome that feedback, but it was very deliberate in writing this. I will tell you that my first week writing, I felt defeated because I had a, a word count goal. And night by night, I would get out the topic I wanted to write about and the word count was short. And in praying about it, I felt like I had my own fear to deal with that. I was like, what am I listening to? Like, what's this thing in my head? And it was that this isn't a book and it is a book and why it's, it's digestible and why it's like 90 or less pages is because I've been told that people can sit in an afternoon and read this. And what I think is beautiful about that is before this podcast, before this book, you might've heard of foster care adoption. You might've gone online to search for an afternoon and you might've been like, I'm throwing my hands up. This is ridiculous. I can't figure it out and I'm done. And you threw in the towel. But because there's now this concise guide to help you understand the complexities, to help you understand in like actual friend language and like breaking it down, you know exactly what to do. You know, you have to have your car insurance. You know that you might have to put some like um, electrical outlet protectors. Like there's these little things you're like, Oh, that's okay. Now that I know that I need to do it, it doesn't seem nearly as complicated. And so the book itself, you can, I have a website, forgottenadoptionoption.com. I have links to all the different retailers. I'm an Amazon. I'm in target. I'm at books, a million. Some of the local stores are carrying the book as well. I'm in audio ebook and paperback. So I'm at many, many platforms And uh, just this morning, actually, I am in Hoopla, which is an app that many library districts use. So my e-books are in there. I was so excited. That's awesome. And I will have it all linked on my page with the show notes, jilldevine.com, just in case you are listening while you're driving or you're walking and you don't have anything to write things down. You can just go straight there. Uh, Last 
words, Marcy. I will first say my last words to you are you are amazing and you are so smart and knowledgeable and so giving to, you know, even just A, adopt and B, put it together for others to venture into. And so I just want to thank you for all that you're doing to help these kiddos that don't have their forever home. It's, it's fun to hear you say thank you, Jill, because this is so much of this is motivated by I was angry. <laughs> like I would sit and know that there's not a marketing campaign for this. There's there's not marketing because there's no money in foster care adoption. And I was like shaking my fist at the world saying this is not fair. Like I, I knew exactly what to do. I knew there were kids and I knew there were families, but there was like this gap. And so it's fun to hear you say thank you because I'm like, I was mad. Like I wanted to figure this out and I kept pointing fingers of they should, they should. And I kind of got a little Matthew West of like, I created you. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. So my parting words just really is encouragement. Some some folks that are listening might think this is really helpful. I'm gonna go get started. And others might think like, okay, that was a lot and not for me. But here's the thing. If we all think about ourselves we probably know someone that we know they need to hear this. And we know that like they have been wanting to adopt, they've one time mentioned it, or maybe we just kind of felt a feeling that like they seem like they might adopt. And it might be a single person because you can be single and adopt. It might be an older couple. It might be people that already have biological children. I don't know who it is in your life, but I just want to encourage you to help bring awareness because in my heart, like. We, we shouldn't have 120,000 children in the United States of America who are without a forever family, because that means that's 120,000 children who do not have a forever family that's gonna be there when they graduate from high school. They do not have a forever family that's gonna be there for big milestones in their life, like getting married or their first job or whatever those things are. And we, we can do something about that. And so I just wanna encourage you to help find more forever families.